Chapter Nine of the Black Moth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. The Black Moth by Georgette Hare. Chapter Nine. Lady O'Hara intervenes. Lady O'Hara found that her big indolent husband was unusually silent next morning at breakfast. She had not been married long enough to consent to being practically ignored, no matter what the time of day, but she had been married quite long enough to know that before she took any direct action against him, she must first allow him to assuage his appetite. Accordingly, she plied him with coffee and eggs, and with a satisfied and slightly motherly air watched him attack a sirloin of beef. She was a pretty bird-like little lady, with big eyes and soft brown curls escaping from under a demure but very becoming mob-cap. She measured five-foot-nothing in her stockings, and was sometimes referred to by her large husband as the midget. Needless to say, this flippant appellation was in no wise encouraged by the lady. She decided that Miles had come to the end of his repast, and planting two dimpled elbows on the table, she rested her small chin in her hands, and looked across at him with something of the air of an inquisitive kitten. Miles! O'Hara leaned back in his chair, and at the sight of her fresh prettiness his brow cleared, and he smiled. Well, Astor! A reproachful finger was raised, and a pair of red lips pouted adorably. Now, Miles, confess you've been vastly disagreeable this morning. Twice have I spoken to you and you've not troubled to answer me. Now I let me finish. And once you growled at me like a nasty bear, yes, sir, you did. Did I now, Molly? Tis a surly brute you're after thinking me, then. Troth, I've been sore perplexed, me dear. Lady O'Hara got up and sidled round to him. Have you so, Miles? He flung an arm about her and drew her on to his knee. Sure, yes, Molly. Well, then, Miles— had you not better tell me what it is that troubles you? She coaxed, laying a persuasive hand on his shoulder. He smiled up at her. "'Tis just an inquisitive puss you are. Again the pout. And ye should not pout your pretty lips at me if you were not wanting me to kiss them. He added, suiting the action to the word. "'But of course I do,' cried my lady, returning the kiss with fervour. Nine miles, tell me.' "'I see you mean to have the whole tale out of me. "'So?' "'To be sure I do,' she nodded. "'He laid a warning finger on her lips "'and summoned up a mighty frown. "'Now will you be done interrupting, me lady?' "'Not a whit abashed, she bit the finger, "'pushed it away, and folding her hands in her lap, "'cast her eyes meekly heavenwards. "'With the twinkle in his own eyes, "'the Irishman continued. "'Well, Alana. You must know that yesterday evening I was at Kilroy's on a matter of business, and that reminds me. Molly, we had a hand or two, or Pharaoh, and the like before I left, and I had very distressing luck. On a sudden, my lady's demure air vanished. Is that so, Miles? I make no doubt the stakes were prodigious high. Pray, how much have you lost? Whisht, darling. Tis a mere trifle, I assure you. Well, as I was saying, on me way home, what should happen— but that we be hailed up by one of these highwaymen. Milady's eyes widened in horror, and two little hands clutched at his coat. Oh, Miles! His arm tightened round her waist. Sure, Astor, I'm still alive to tell the tale, though tis not far I'll be getting with you interrupting it every moment. 
But, Miles, how terrible! You might have been killed, and you never told me. "'Twas monstrous wicked of you, darling.' "'Faith, Molly, how should I be telling you, when twas yourself that was fast asleep? Now will you wished?' She nodded obediently and dimpled. "'Well, as I was saying, here was this man a-standing in the road, pointing his pistol at me. But will ye believe me, me love, when I tell you that that same pistol was as empty as me own? Here he was a-shaking with laughter. Lord, Molly, twas the drollest thing. I had me pistol in me hand, no, and twas unloaded, and wondering what the devil, saving your presence, was to do next, when the idea struck me that I should try to bluff me fine, sir. So I cried out that his pistol was unloaded and completely took him by surprise. Sure he hadn't taken time to ask himself how the devil I should be a-knowing that. He dropped it on the road after. Miles, you're becoming very Irish. Never say so, Elana. After that. "'Twas simple enough, and me lord gave in. "'He held out his hands for me to bind, "'and here's where tis puzzling, Molly. "'I saw that they were a prodigious sight, too white, "'and fine for an ordinary highwayman, "'so I taxed him with it. "'Twas a gentleman in disguise. "'How splendid, Miles! "'Will ye hold your tongue, Astor, "'and not be spoiling me story on me? "'Oh, indeed, I am sorry. "'I will be good.' and he started and seemed monstrous put out. What's more, me dear, I heard him speak to his mare in an ordinary gentleman's voice. Molly, you never saw the like of that same mare, the sweetest. Pray never mind the mare, dear. I am all agog to hear about the gentleman highwayman. Very well, me love, though twas a prodigious fine mare. When I heard him speak, it flashed across me brain that I knew him. No, you don't, Molly. His hand was over her mouth as he spoke, and her eyes danced madly. But I could not for the life of me think where I had heard that voice. T'was but the word I heard him speak, ye understand. And when I held his wrist, I felt that t'was no stranger. And yet tis impossible, when I got him within the coach. How imprudent he might have wished now. When I got him within the coach, I tried to worm his identity out of him, but t'was to no avail. But when I told him he would have to appear before me to-day, he went off into a fit of laughing, and not another word could I get out of him after beyond. Yes, sir, and no, sir. Still I felt towards the gentleman all the same. So I— He was enveloped in a rapturous embrace. You dear Miles, you let him escape. Sure, Elana, is it meself that would be doing the like? And me a justice of the peace withal? I told him not to handcuff me, lord. Oh, I do so wish you had let him escape. But if tis really a gentleman, you will. I will not, then, Astor. I'll be sending him to await the Assises. You are very cruel, then. But, me darling, and I wish to get off your knee. He drew her close. I'll see what can be done for your protege, Molly. But don't be forgetting he tried to kill the only husband you have. He watched the effect of this with that humorous twinkle in his eye, but my lady was not to be put off. "'With an empty pistol! Fie on you, Miles! And may I hide behind the screen while you question him?' "'You may not, but I wish so much to see him.' O'Hara shook his head with an air of finality. She knew full well. However easy-going and good-natured her husband might be, there were times when he was impervious to all blandishments. 
So after darkly hinting that she would be nearer than he imagined, she gave up the contest to go and visit young Master David in his nursery. For some time in lock-up Carstairs had cudgelled his brain to think out a possible mode of escape next day, but try as he might he could light on nothing. If only Miles were not to question him, it was hardly likely that he would be allowed to retain his mask, yet therein lay his only chance of preserving his incognito. He prayed that by some merciful providence O'Hara would either fail to recognize him, or would at least pretend that he did not. Having decided that there was nothing further to be done in the matter, he lay down on his extreme hard pallet, and went to sleep as if he had not a care in the world. Next morning, after a long and wordy argument with the head Gaylor on the subject of masks, he was hailed in triumph to the house. As the little cavalcade was about to ascend the steps that led to the front door, my lady O'Hara came gaily forth, carrying a basket and a pair of scissors, and singing a snatch of song. At the sight of the highwayman the song broke off, and her red lips formed a long-drawn, Oh! She stood quite still on the top step, gazing down at my lord. The two gaylors stood aside to allow her to come down, just as a greyhound darted up the steps and flung itself against her, in an exuberance of joy. Milady, none too securely balanced, reeled. The basket fell from her arm, her foot missed the next step, and she tumbled headlong down. But in the flash of an eyelid, Carstairs had sprung forward and received her in his arms. He lowered her gently to the ground. "'I trust you are not hurt, madame,' he asked, and retrieved her basket, handing it to her. Molly took it with a smile. "'I thank you, sir, not at all.' though I fear I should have injured myself quite considerably had you not been so swift in catching me. T'was most kind of you, I am sure. She extended her small hand, and her eyes devoured him. For a moment my lord hesitated, and then sweeping off his hat, he bowed low over the hand. "'Twas less than nothing, madame,' he said in his own cultivated voice. "'I beg you will dismiss it from your mind.' He straightened himself as the Gaylors came forward and put his hat on again. Lady O'Hara stepped aside and watched them disappear into the house. Her cheeks were rather flushed, and her eyes suspiciously bright. Suddenly she nodded her head decisively, and throwing away her luckless basket, hurried across the lawn, and entered the house through a long window. My lord was conducted to the library, where O'Hara sat awaiting him and slouched forward, with his hands thrust deep into his pockets and his hat still on his head. The head Gaylor eyed him gloomily, and looked pained when Carstairs, with studied boorishness, leaned carelessly against a fine-carved table. "'We have refrained from handcuffing prisoners, sir, your orders,' he said, in a tone that warned O'Hara that should harm come of it, on his head be the blame. Miles nodded. He said pleasantly, and glanced at the cloak and masked figure before him with more suspicion than ever. But I regret to have to report very obstinate behaviour on part of prisoner, sir, added the Gaylor impressively. Indeed, said Miles gravely. How so? Jack controlled an insane desire to laugh and listened to the Gaylor's complaint. You see, the prisoner, sir, with that great mask on his face, afore we set out to come here, I told him to take it off. "'And he refused, sir, seeing as how you gave no orders, I did not force him to obey.' "'Ah! Your name, please?' "'John Smith, sir,' answered Carstairs promptly and hoarsely. O'Hara wrote it down with a sceptical smile on his lips that Jack did not quite like. "'Perhaps you will have the goodness to unmask.' 
There was a momentary silence. "'Why, sir, I thought you might allow me to keep it on.' "'Did you now? I will not be allowing any such thing.' "'But, sir, tis impossible. Off with it.' "'Sir, if you don't take it off, I shall ask these men to assist ye. warned Miles. "'May I not speak with ye alone, sir?' pleaded Jack. By now O'Hara was greatly intrigued. "'Ye may not. Unmask.' He was leaning half across the table, his eyes fixed on Jack's face. With a quaint little laugh that made O'Hara's brows contract swiftly, my lord shrugged his shoulders, French fashion, and obeyed. The mask and hat were tossed lightly onto the table, and Miles found himself gazing into a pair of blue eyes that met his half defiantly, half imploringly. He drew in his breath sharply, and the thin ivory rule he held snapped suddenly between his fingers, and at that crucial moment a door behind him that had stood ajar was pushed open, and my lady O'Hara came tripping into the room. The two Gaylors and her husband turned at once to see who it was, while Jack, who had recognized her, but had not the least idea who she was, fell to testing his boots with his handkerchief. O'Hara rose, and for once looked severe. "'What?' he began, and stopped, for without so much as a glance at him, my lady ran towards the prisoner, crying, "'Harry! Oh, Harry!' Jack gathered that he was the person addressed, and instantly made her an elaborate leg. The next moment she was tugging at the lapels of his coat, with her face upturned to his. "'Harry, you wicked boy!' she cried, and added beneath her breath, "'My name is Molly.' A laugh sprang to my lord's eyes, and his beautiful smile appeared. In a stupefied fashion, O'Hara watched him steal an arm about her waist and place a hand beneath her chin. The next instant a kiss was planted full on the little lady's lips, and he heard Jack Carstairs' voice exclaim, "'Fie on you, Molly! For a spoil sport! Here it I fooled Miles to the top of my bent in pone rep. He scarce knows me yet!' My lady had disengaged herself, blushing. "'Oh, Miles, you do know Harry, my cousin Harry!' O'Hara collected his scattered wits and rose nobly to the occasion. "'Of course I do, my dear. Though at first he gave me such a shock, I was near dumbfounded. You are a mad scatterbrained fellow, to play such a trick upon us, devil ye take ye.' He laid his hands on Jack's shoulders. "'Pray, pray, what did ye do it for, boy?' Jack's brain worked swiftly. "'Why, Miles, never tell me you forgot our wager.' Did I not swear I'd have you at a disadvantage to be even with you for that night at Jasper's? But what must you do but see my pistol was unloaded and make me lose my wager? Still, t'was worth that in a nightingale to see your face when I unmasked. Harry shook him slightly laughing and turned to the two amazed Gaylors. The senior Gaylor met his humorous glance with a cold and indignant stare, and gave a prodigious sniff. <laughs> me good fellows, drawled Miles. I'm mighty sorry you've been worried over me young cousin here. He's fooled us all, it appears, but now there's not to be done in the matter, though I've a mind to send him to await the next sessions. He slipped a guinea into each curiously ready palm, and replied to the head gaylor's haughty bow with a pleasant nod. In silence he watched them leave the room, shaking their heads over the incomprehensible ways of the gentry. Then he turned and looked across at Carstairs. End of chapter 9 Recording by Tara Mendoza, Phoenix, Arizona, August 2011.